Are you a home educator starting Latin and feeling overwhelmed? Are you a Latin teacher looking for new inspiration and ideas? Or are you a casual learner beginning your journey into ancient languages? If so, this podcast is for you. In each episode, language teachers and experts come together to share their knowledge and experience with you in an accessible, fun, and inspirational format. We'll break it all down for you, from teaching tips, to choosing a curriculum, to staying motivated and keeping it fun. We hope this podcast helps you become the best undead language learner you can be, wherever you are on your journey. Welcome to Demystifying Latin and Greek, Undead Languages for Living Brains. This podcast is for everyone and anyone interested in learning Latin or Greek. So our main focus here is going to be on the teaching of ancient languages, which if you're a teacher or you're just a casual learner, this will be great for you. Diving into any language can be intimidating. But ancient languages are particularly so because it's hard to know where to look or where to start. You can't join a current language learning community in the same way you can with a modern language where you can do immersion and sit in a cafe and talk in that language with the same level of trial and error. So we're here to help alleviate that concern over the course of this podcast. We'd like to talk about what resources do exist and what level of immersion you can take part in for this kind of language learning. We'll talk about curricula and methods and also provide some general encouragement for you, for your students, for your language learning community in this whole process. All right, so who are we is probably, you know, the burning question for everyone right now. Who the heck are we and why are we qualified to talk about this? So. On the show, first, I'll mention our newly minted PhD, Dr. Kirsten Jaqua, who graduated, I said that right, right? Yes, okay, you did. Cool. <laughs> um, graduated with distinction from UCSB with a PhD in classics. So can you talk a little bit about what was your research about? Do we have distinction at UCSB? I don't even know. I'll, I'll just say it's I, fine. I have it's, distinction. It's fine, no. Uh, I have a PhD in classics, and we'll talk a little more about that term going forward, but that means that I studied Latin and ancient Greek, and we're talking about language, culture, literature, all the sort of trappings that come with the ancient Mediterranean cultures of ancient Greece and Rome. And my particular research focus was on ancient Greek tragedy, so Euripides and female voices in ancient Greek tragedy. I'm sure we can unpack that more at some later date, but uh, in the course of my PhD, I had the opportunity to teach Latin and ancient Greek both, which was a real treat for me, and I will be continuing to teach both those languages going forward. Also, so my co-host who is here with me is Anne Phillips, who is finishing her PhD Not soon. quite doctor, she, but she's not, there. Not quite doctor, but almost doctor. <laughs> Will be doctor soon. And Anne is working on her dissertation. She is ABD, yay. Huzzah, it only took me five years. It's normal. <laughs> Just for those of you Feels who don't like know. Feels like forever. It's normal. It doesn't sound normal, but it is. <laughs> so, um, 
She also has her own research project, a dissertation, which, what, you have two chapters written of? I have, yes, two chapters two of my, my three-chapter dissertation, and I'm also more of a Hellenist in that I study Greek historiography, particularly Herodotus, and I study cultural interactions in Herodotus. So, yes, this is probably going to sound a little odd if you're like, I'm here for Latin, why am I hearing about all these you know, Greek authors? Well... This is probably a good point to do our little quick side note about explaining the nature of classical studies a little bit. So for those of you who are not familiar with what that means, the study of classics is most simply the study of the ancient, particularly Greco-Roman world. The term classics is an older term, which a lot of us consider kind of outdated. Um, so I've recently started telling people when they ask me what my PhD is in, I just say, oh, it's in ancient languages or it's in you know Latin and Greek, which is technically true because I'm a language person. Um, but it really encompasses a lot of different areas. So linguistics, material culture, archaeology, and art, art you know, literature, architecture, all kinds of things. There's a lot that goes into it. I think of classics, or at least the classics that we study, as a very interdisciplinary exercise. We get a lot of different sort of disciplines within what we do that we have to learn about. But part of the reason why Annie and I are doing this is because both of us are very much language-focused people, and our real passion, as we've both worked through our dissertations and our various coursework in the course of the PhD, was the languages. Pulling them apart, doing close readings, really enjoying just the beauty of, um, this is where we are kind of well-paired. I'm very much a poetry person. I love meter and rhythm and just the florid, shall we say, purple sort of um, writing of poetry. I love that stuff. And Annie's more of a I'm prose the prose person. person. I, yeah, I'm the one that gets excited about sort of, you know, what makes prose interesting or fun to read. I really like narratives. So I tend to focus on, you know, here's this really interesting narrative trick that is being used here. So yeah, it's a very, very broad, all-encompassing term. But for our purposes, Kirsten and I are both very heavily into the language side. And we've also become very interested in how to teach the language. So if you are a classics major or a classics PhD, teaching Latin is probably going to be your bread and butter. There's just no way around that. So uh, to that end, we've both had a lot of experience teaching Latin in a lot of different contexts. Kirsten has more recently been teaching in the, the university setting, so she's taught at the college level, which I haven't done yet. I will be doing this fall, so I'm sure I will have a lot to say when we get to that point in the oh, podcast. Yes. Uh, all the things that work, don't work, uh, that'll be, yeah, that'll be very interesting. So that's where we are, where we're coming from, a little bit about... Um, what the term classics means. Um. Yeah, it's something that you get a, a lot of mixed reactions to when you say, I study the classics. Like, I've had people ask me if I studied Beethoven. Yeah, um, I've gotten that too. <laughs> there's also uh, to keep important to keep in mind that there are classics from every culture, yeah. which is part of the reason why there's a movement to say, I study ancient Mediterranean classics or ancient Mediterranean literature or language or culture. So it's by and large been used as the term that refers to the ancient Mediterranean studies, but it's changing a little bit, and this gives a little better context. Yeah, especially when you're in an environment where you can 
you know, when you meet people that say, oh, I study, you know, classical Chinese or I study, you know, Chinese classics. So there's a lot of, you know, there's that term has expanded a lot. So I, I think it's good to, to clarify that for everyone. So another, this kind of brings me into my, my next point about kind of our background and what has drawn us into this, which will probably be interesting to people, you know, especially if you are a homeschooling family and you're looking at, you know, should I do Latin with my kids or, you know, you're looking at, you know, should I major in classics or why, you know, should I, should I study Latin? What's the, what's the purpose of doing that? So uh, one thing that is kind of an interesting thing Kirsten and I share in common is we are both homeschooled. So why don't you talk about you know, your homeschool background a little bit and classics? Yes, I have a long and storied homeschool background. <laughs> so who doesn't though? Uh, it's true. It's yeah. Homeschooling has an interesting reputation we can discuss at length, but my homeschool background is that I was taught at home by my mother, who is an immigrant from Denmark. And Denmark used to have most, if not all, students take Latin in sort of primary slash secondary school. Now, my mom will fact check me on this if she listens to this, but <laughs> I, I think it was all. And she told lots of stories about taking Latin when she was in school. And she, therefore, when she homeschooled us, uh, my mom, by the way, has a doctorate in nuclear physics, so very different from me. <laughs> I am Dr. Jaqua number two. So she homeschooled me and my brothers, partially because I have a younger brother who had a lot of health complications. So, you know, staying at home and schooling together was great. And she taught me Latin from... Honestly, I can't remember a time when I wasn't learning Latin, truth be told. I was, I think, six when I remember actually first sort of starting to do Latin. I did chants. My older brother would walk around the house singing Latin songs, and being a typical child, I learned to sing the same Latin songs my brother sang. But you have never forgotten, right? I have never forgotten. <laughs> no, I haven't. I've never That's forgotten. That's what's important. <laughs> uh, this is not the time to be singing Latin songs. Maybe I'll do that later. <laughs> but... I, Future episodes. I've pretty much been doing Latin since I was a very small child. And I did Latin all the way through my high school years. And then when I went to college, I somewhat reluctantly, I confess, signed up for an Aeneid class. And that was where I really fell in love with it, was just the beauty of that poetry. It was exciting. I loved learning about the meter. I loved parsing apart the structures of the way the po poems were put together. The themes were exciting. Um, but yeah, the Aeneid is just absolutely awe-inspiring. The Aeneid when is When you fantastic. can read it in Latin, it's fantastic. But yeah, homeschooling was where I first got introduced to Latin. I did enjoy it, but I confess I didn't really truly come to love it until college. And we did Henley, which is a very weird curriculum. We'll talk a lot about curriculum. Yeah, we'll have in the lots future. to say about oh, yes. our we curricula did. experiences. <laughs> Henley Latin, a strange book, but I still have the grammar booklet from it. That's where I came from. Yeah, I had a little bit of a similar similar start. My mom got into classical education when you know I was I'm the oldest of three, so I was the guinea pig uh, for a lot of things, which, you know, tends to happen when you're the oldest kid. And, 
Yeah, she started us with, with Wheelocks, and, and we did a lot of the, the chanting and the, the Latin songs and all of that when I was pretty small, although we kind of stopped doing it uh, for some reason. I don't really know why. We kind of we stopped doing it for a long time, and I picked it up again on my own in high school because we still had all the books laying around, and for some reason I got really fascinated with Cicero. <laughs> I don't remember why. And I was like, well, you know, this would be cool. I'd like to see if I can learn to read the Cicero in the original Latin. And somebody had given me a uh, a, a Loeb library edition of some of Cicero's philosophical treatises where it has the Latin on one side and the English translation on the other side on the facing page. So I, I tackled that and I, I got really, really into it. I discovered, hey, I'm really, really interested in this language. I really love it. And then decided this is what I want to do. For my major, so I went. I went to college, and I double majored in Latin and Greek, and the rest is history. I've pretty much been on the same path the whole time, and I ended up you know, getting into P into a PhD program for classics, and yeah. So that, that's kind of that's where I'm coming from. So I was also a double major, but I did anthropology too, which I'm sure was was helpful oh, coming into a, a classics PhD where you kind of, you know, want some of those interdisciplinary. And here's your little plug for for uh, classics because I remember incurring the ire of my classmates in a class in my anthropology degree. You didn't have to work so hard to memorize no. all the lingua all the, the, the phylogenetology. The, <laughs> the phylogenetic tree of primates. We had to memorize the names, the Latin names, and it was very easy for me because the owl monkey is named Autus, which is literally owl in Latin, and so I just memorized those with very great ease. And so yeah, easy A's I, for I those blew, who have Latin. <laughs> I didn't just get an A, I blew the curve. That's why everyone was mad at me. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, see, benefits of Latin, we're like already, you know, already explicating all of the benefits that you will have. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Now that we've talked a little bit about that, what are our goals? What are our ideas? What are we doing here? What's the point of this podcast? So we both felt called to use our talents and abilities kind of outside of academia. Now, this is not to badmouth academia or anything like that, but we have noticed <laughs> that there's a bit of a stigma in academia that PhDs shouldn't quote-unquote waste their degree in teaching anything lower than the university or college level. And that's that's really started to seem kind of silly in, in recent years, just given all the uncertainties of the academic job market. Huh. You can't really find super stable jobs right now doing, you know, you know, teaching at a university level. So a lot of us have started kind of blazing the trail for teaching high school Latin, teaching grade school Latin, and you know, saying, hey, this is actually an enjoyable career path, and it's a worthwhile career path. So, I mean, if you have... Yep, I have got a job lined up for me that I will be starting in just shy of a month now, and I'll be teaching Latin from 8th grade and up, and 12th grade Greek, which I'm super excited about. So... I personally, in my time at the university, as much as I did enjoy my dissertation project, and I'm very, very proud of it, it's done, and it's awesome, I had the most fun teaching. And I worked a lot with freshmen, primarily these students who were just 
brand new and out of high school. still had all their enthusiasm before it gets squashed out of them <laughs> a year later. <laughs> They're, they do okay. They have a lot of energy. I've met some very excited college students, but I love working with the freshmen. All these sort of new, not quite adults, you know, so excited about what they're doing. And I just loved teaching in general. I loved the opportunity to get to know my students, to work with them on in their particular needs, sort of differentiate between their levels and what would help them best, and helping to inspire enthusiasm and love for these things that we enjoy so much. So when I finished my degree with opportunities ahead of me, I decided to pick a path where I would focus on teaching, where I could do what I loved the most about grad school more. So that's where I went, and yeah, like like everyone, you know, we've all heard that term of wasting your skills. I don't by any means feel that I'm wasting them. I'm very excited about it, and part of why we want to do this and we want to talk about teaching not just at the college level, but in K through 12, in homeschool situations, or even teaching adults. We feel that teaching, and especially teaching in K through 12 and in homeschools, is how we build the future of this field, the future of classical Mediterranean languages and studies. Yeah, I, I agree. It's kind of, there's a very weird dichotomy in higher ed where they really kind of steer you towards, you know, you must be kind of a researcher. So you're the person that's, you know, writing all of the, the cutting edge articles or books or whatever, but there's not as much emphasis on teaching for its own sake, teaching as an art form. And that's where, you know, Kirsten and I have felt that we've gravitated just naturally, we've gravitated more towards pursuing teaching just for the sake of teaching as an art. And yeah, we also, you know, that kind of attitude is what helps create the future classicists, the future Latinists, and, uh, you know, the future creative minds. Another thing I feel it's important to, to note at this point is we, we, don't, we don't think this needs to be a sort of antiquated attempt to get back to some kind of romantic idea we have in our heads about what things were like in the past. This is more about taking what's good about the past, adapting what is good for kind of our current context, you know, the ideas that work for us and the ideas that, you know, don't work for us anymore, finding ways to use it positively. And that kind of leads into our next point here. Why study classical languages? So studying the past in this way, and we'll dig into more of these concepts soon, but studying the past and studying languages in this way, I think gives students a chance to think about the world in a different way. So it's something I talk about in my classes that when you learn another language, you kind of have to learn to think in the way that language thinks. So it gives you a new perspective. And as Annie said, it's not about, you know, taking a romantic view of what that language is. It's more about thinking in a new and different way and seeing what's good about it and comparing it to what we have today, what we have inherited and what we should and shouldn't inherit. I think one positive benefit also that I like bringing up is that this is a very low stakes way to learn about another culture. It teaches you how to enter into another culture, but in a context where you're not necessarily going to suffer from social faux pas or from misunderstanding something. So that that's actually something that's helped me tremendously as a student kind of looking at this, looking at how I learned about the Romans and the Greeks. But then you can apply 
those lessons to looking at a current culture and how it, how it works. And uh, it's, it's generally, I think it's very helpful in that regard. So with that in mind, and considering we've already talked about a couple of the reasons why you might benefit from studying ancient classical Mediterranean languages, that's a mouthful. <laughs> We're going to talk about some of the reasons that we know for why they can be beneficial from a personal enjoyment side, from a practical side, just in general. Starting with one of the most common reasons that people cite for studying these languages, there's a practical side to them. So we're going to talk about this in a future episode. This is going to be a big topic, but a lot of the time these classical languages are taught in what's called the grammar translation style. So you learn them almost, a lot of people learn them almost backwards by learning the grammar that underpins the language structurally, and then learning how to read the language with that knowledge. Now that method can be very beneficial in the sense that for me personally, as a writer, as a researcher, and just in general, I learned a lot about how language works by learning Latin and Greek this way. I learned about the different components that put together a language from, you know, nouns, prepositions, all that sort of stuff to cases and how languages encode meaning. So how do I know what role a word plays in a sentence in English? How do I know what role it plays in a sentence in Latin or in any other language? How do tenses work? What is it that indicates to me when I speak that something happened in the past, in the future, in the present, etc.? So they give you a really unique, strong grammatical background. They make you a more articulate and better speaker, writer, you know, public speaker. And from all of these backgrounds, they can also give you future uses for other careers. So again, you know, if you're a writer, if you're a journalist, if you're a speaker, they can help you in that way. They expand your knowledge of literature and the world around you. But they also give you a unique boost in certain careers. So for instance, almost every legal term is rooted in Latin. And students who take the LSAT and have done Latin in the past, there's a, there's a correlation between high performance on the LSAT and knowledge of Latin language. Yeah, and the same for you know, the medical field as well. Most of the terms are Latin and Greek terms. So people that have a Latin or Greek background tend to have a very easy time memorizing their anatomy and physiology because all that's already kind of built into your brain. Oh yes, nearly every term for doctor is based in Greek. You know, a cardiologist from cardia for heart, otolaryngologist, otos, ear, larynx, throat. So they're all rooted in Greek um, for the names of doctor's specialities and then yeah. the bones are named with Latin, yeah. I believe. Yep. So there's a lot of ways in which they benefit people for different careers and both the MCAT and the LSAT have a lot of Latin and Greek knowledge on them. So And that's just if you're being brutally pragmatic. But, oh, yes. you know, there are there are fun reasons too. Like the, the literature is incredibly rich and it's really fun learning the vocabulary and realizing having these sort of epiphanies of oh that's where all these words came from or that's where this idea comes from. And it's you know, the unique experience of being able to immerse yourself in literary experience. Like we've already mentioned, you know, the Aeneid, you know, the epic poem by Virgil written in Latin originally, is just an absolutely awe-inspiring literary experience. And that is worth having for its own sake. And in addition to that, 
it's just fun from a very basic perspective. Like when you learn a modern language, you learn how to say, where is the bathroom? And how much does this cost? And what is your name? Where's and where do you live? And yeah, All of these basic things. things. <laughs> They're very practical. But I have had students who have expressed to me how much fun it is. I mean, <laughs> to learn the strange things that you learn in an ancient language. For instance, when I taught ancient Greek, which was a real treat for me, my students were thrilled when we read an adapted passage from the Odyssey, and they learned such interesting things as uh, the words for cyclops and cheese and smoke and all sorts of odd words that you wouldn't learn in a first semester language class otherwise. Yeah, that's true. Or all the different ways that you know, beginning Latin students learn about, well, and so-and-so killed so-and-so, you know, someone else and, you know, stole their cow or whatever. There's a lot of, <laughs> it's a little violent sometimes, yes. but, you know, it's, you know, it's definitely a different experience. It's the ancient world. My, yeah. I remember one of my Greek students when we opened up a new chapter and she flipped ahead to the vocabulary and she was like, ooh, I can kill people now. I'm like, oh, easy there. <laughs> yeah, but it's fun and it's definitely more memorable that way. And actually I had professors in college and we would get to certain parts of narratives and we'd be like, well, okay, we're going to kill so-and-so today because like, wherever we had gotten into, you know, whatever Latin and Greek text we were reading, you know, it was, you know. A lot of, yeah, it's, it's just, it's very interesting. It's very different. And I can tell you from experience that students have a very strong bonding that happens in these classes. Mine, at the end of the semester, were having arguments with each other about who was going on. And when one student said she wasn't sure she could, like five of the others were like, you can't leave us. We're a team. I mean, they get to know each other really well, and they also tend to feel that they almost share a secret code. Yeah, because it is such a unique class, it's such a unique experience that you don't really have elsewhere in the university. It's a little bit more unique than, you know, 500 students all taking the same Bio 101 class. There's not, not quite as much there to, for them to kind of, you know, have encoded in their relationships. Yep. So, yeah, those I, are some... Those I still some... have good friends from my first semester Greek class and early Latin courses. Yeah, I actually, uh, my husband that I, I met in college is also a classics major, and he and I also have shared that that same kind of love of Latin, love of language, and you know, he's, he's actually big into the Aeneid, so that's kind of one of his things, and I think we can always talk about is you know, our mutual love of Latin. So, aside from the fun of sharing the love of these languages and the kind of bonding experiences that you get with your fellow scholars of these languages, there's also the value of, which we talked a little bit about before, exploring another culture. Yeah. And if you come from a culture that has inherited from ancient Greece and Rome, which many, many cultures do, and hopefully we're all, you know, a collection of many, many different ancient cultures that have influenced us, but you can get the opportunity to investigate what we have inherited from these cultures, not just in a linguistic sense, in our law, legal systems and our medical systems, but we have talked about the literature, the ideals that were passed down the in Images myths. and symbols that we all understand and share. Because you can't truly understand where you are today without thinking about and understanding 
where you came from. So if this has any bearing on you, your life, and the world that surrounds you, it's a valuable exercise to explore what you inherited from that culture and why. And like we talked about adapting and carrying on the good parts, you know, the beautiful literature and that kind of thing. And also considering carefully the parts that we have grown beyond or should grow beyond. Yeah, definitely. And I got my last point here on our kind of list of topics to talk about, something that I actually have found to be inc of incredible practical importance is understanding the difficulties and the pitfalls of translation mm. linguistically and culturally. So it's kind of connected to what you were just saying about um, how difficult it is sometimes to enter into the mindset of another language of another people group and the difficulties of conveying ideas accurately from one group to another which can account for you know, ways in which you know what we have inherited has been distorted in various ways and you if you understand sort of the the difficulty of you know linguistic and cultural translation it helps it helps give you some more context it helps give you a better understanding of why we've inherited what we have and how people respond to ideas over time so that's you know uh, a really good side benefit of this and again in a low stakes kind of environment where you know there are no romans coming back through time to kill you for not understanding <laughs> something about their culture or for you know saying something that they think is wrong you're not going to have that problem you know they're not going to get on twitter and yell at you so no none it's... of us have interviewed <laughs> i mean that's part of the fun is none of us have interviewed them no we haven't interviewed them and we never and they, will they and, can't interview us either so it and cuts that's both part ways of, it's part of the fun because we can, as you say, learn about it in a low-stakes environment, and some people will tell you there is a wrong answer when you're exploring these things. But to some degree, a lot of it is something you can enjoy as a thought experiment and explore a culture together with people who are also interested in doing that. Yeah. So in case you weren't convinced already, these are well, some of our, a lot of our reasons for why this is worth doing. So... To close out this podcast before we ramble this too long, episode. this first episode, which, as a, another quick side note here, we are currently in the process of building up our podcasting infrastructure. So uh, in a couple weeks here, Kirsten will be moving out of state, so we will have to transfer our entire operation to remote. So there's... You We're know, all used to that by now, of I course. I know, yeah. It's... <laughs> Not a big deal, right? Well, yeah, so it's still something we're gonna have to figure out. But you know, we're, you know, we're still working on building up our podcast and building up, you know, our, you know, getting all the technology that we need in order to make this run smoothly. So we do appreciate uh, patience with us moving forward as we kind of figure this out. So there will be ambient noise in the background or not. Yeah, so ambient. ambient kid noises, because uh, <laughs> I am a mom with two kids and sometimes they are in the background. So I can't I really a, avoid that. I have a cat, but she's quiet. Yeah, cats are generally quieter than kids. But, you know, they if we get ever, in the way, too, if we ever do visual recording, you will see the cat. Yeah, that's true. If we ever do visual recording, there might be my kids floating around in the background. <laughs> uh, one of them in particular, she's an attention hog, so it will probably happen. So anyway, um, yeah, and if that helps you feel better, especially if you are a you know, homeschool mom, homeschool parent in a situation where you're like, well, this seems really overwhelming. Why would I want to do this? It is possible. I am currently doing it, <laughs> and I will be doing it for the foreseeable future. So 
yeah, it is possible. It can be tiring sometimes, but it is possible. All right, so finally, a review of kind of where we're going with this podcast and the, the topics that we want to hit, things that we think will be useful, things that we aren't really seeing being done elsewhere out there. There don't seem to be too many podcasts or blogs. I mean, there's there's a handful of things, but there's not much that's sort of Latin teachers aiming at homeschool parents grade school Latin teachers, um, and we're trying to kind of holistically combine all of these sort of concerns. And this is where we can, hopefully, our title is relatively clear, but that's our general goal, is we want to be a language teaching focused podcast, and as we say, demystify the languages, because they can, as we said, feel intimidating, but we believe that with good resources and with good support, they can be a really rewarding, fun experience that isn't quite as scary as it can seem. Yeah, I've had a lot of people approach me in the last couple of years saying things like, I really want to do Latin with my kids, but it just comes, feels totally overwhelming and I don't know where to start. Because if you look on the internet, you are going to see, if you just Google things like Latin for kids, there's going to be tons and tons of things that you might, you know, you might not have any idea where to start, what you're looking at. So what we want to do is we want to kind of pare it down into the essentials. So what do you need to know? What what are you looking for in a curriculum? What is important to you? And what resources, in addition to all of those essentials, will make the experience exciting and inspiring for you or your students, whoever you're working with? So with that in mind, We'd like to start with some of the essentials. We'd like to talk about different curricula that exist for teaching and learning Latin and ancient Greek. Then we'll talk about some of the big approaches to language learning in this field. So there's some major ones that we want to differentiate and discuss the pros and cons. We'll also talk about teaching philosophy. What does it look like to have a teaching philosophy? How is that going to affect your day-to-day approach? How do you handle these topics in the classroom, how do you approach certain pedagogical problems and that sort of thing. Most importantly, encouragement for, you know, the the parent or the teacher that's, you know, need, you you need more of a feeling of support and, you you know, somebody to help kind of navigate the difficulties of just the sheer volume of information that is out there and, you know, make sense of it. Uh, and lastly, and you know, more fun, I think we'll talk about how Latin and Greek are being taught now. And you know, there's a lot of spoken Latin and Greek starting to pop up in more places. And there's a lot of you know fun YouTube channels. And there's you know different ways that you know Latin especially is being kind of re- revitalized in a lot of ways. You know, in and outside of the classroom. So we'll we'll highlight a lot of those things. And finally how to have realistic expectations for yourself and your students or your kids. And that's probably the most important thing here is knowing what to expect and knowing, you know, you don't have to have gotten through the textbook in six months or a year. Sometimes it takes longer and that's okay. You know, as long as you are still kind of enjoying the process. And in all of these areas, we're looking forward to getting the chance to share our own experience as Latin learners of Latin and ancient Greek and as teachers for all of the fun experiences that we've had in the classroom with students, the techniques and the exercises that we have piloted that have 
succeeded or failed because every teacher has experiences of both so definitely and it's it's always fun and sometimes the failures can be great fun as well oh yeah no definitely well that's about it that we have on our list of things to talk about so i think that's that's a good length it's a nice 35 minute episode so it shouldn't be too long to listen to so hopefully you are now excited for our future episodes so stay tuned for that Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe for future episodes. For more information, you can visit our website, museoneducation.com. That's spelled M-U-S-E-I-O-N, education.com. Also linked in the show notes. We wish you a happy language learning journey.